podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. I would like to begin uh, with a thank you uh, to those who have participated in our Ukrainian crisis relief fund. Uh, Over the last couple of weekends, we raised a thousand dollars. Oh, there it is. Yeah. A thousand dollars that is being sent out to an organization um, that our denomination knows or and or works with. So uh, thank you all for contributing. And also thank you for for praying uh, with us as we uh, we just lift this up to God, that this crisis, this war would end and everything that, that goes with that. Now, I'm sure many of you have been keeping up with the reports, perhaps uh, paying attention to the news a little bit more, wondering what is going to happen next in Ukraine. Now, according to one media outlet, it is estimated that three million people have fled Ukraine since the beginning of the invasion, and Europe has not seen a migration of people at this scale and at this speed since World War II. Okay, and another report predicts that another two million people are on their, their way out of the of the invaded country. And so Poland and Slovakia, Hungary and Romania, Moldova, and soon enough other countries are going to be receiving a ton of new neighbors. At least from what I can see and tell, it seems like Generally speaking, Europe, the rest of Europe is on board in terms of taking in the Ukrainian refugees. Millions of displaced people, they they need shelter, they need food. And as time goes on, they're going to need jobs and health care, medicine, school, places of worship, all of those things. Now in academics, there are people who study global trends. One of them is Dr. Gemma Cruz. Uh, uh, she teaches at a school in Australia, but she, she notes in her research, in her work, she says, we are living in an age of migration. More and more people are on the move than, than ever before. Just, just a massive amount of people are mixing and moving all the time. They're, they're bringing their cultures, their languages, their theologies, their worldviews. They're on the move they're, they're mixing and moving around. And with the war in Ukraine, it's acting as an accelerator. It's kind of bringing like what happens all the time, it's now brought to the surface. It's being accelerated and we're, we're seeing this is what it looks like when people are on the move and, and they're just, they're, they're bringing everything with them as much as they can, mixing and moving. Now, for those who attended our Missionary Fellowship Month or uh, night about two months ago, Pastor Ted Rathman was here, and he was teaching us. One of the points that he brought was the world is in our backyard. You know, the the world is is now right here in our own communities, and and the challenging question is is not who is going to reach the world. The challenging question for us today is actually just a really old question. It's, who's my neighbor? Now, sometimes we, we don't know what to do with our, our neighbors. It could be individualism. 
It could be the way that we have built our communities here in America, the, the way that we commute. It could be politics, religion, language, ethnicity, busyness, apathy, so on and so on. Tons of factors why sometimes we just don't know how to engage with our, our neighbors. And so a question for us today is, how do we think about this missionally, Christianly, biblically? How do we think about this pastorally? How, how do we shepherd ourselves to think about what it means to be a neighbor or how to approach and engage our neighbors? And so today I would like to tell you a story about a story that Jesus told. <laughs> Jesus once shared a, a story, it was a parable, and it takes place in Luke chapter 10 as Bob just read a few minutes ago. It's called the story of the good Samaritan. That's what we normally refer to, the parable of the good Samaritan. So we're going to walk through this parable. And it's going to help us, give us a, a, a framework today. How do we think about neighboring well? What does it mean to be a neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And so as we get into this, let me let me pray and, and uh, we'll ask God for, for extra blessings today. Dear God, Lord, um, I just confess my need uh, for you right now in this in this half hour, God of, of preaching. I just ask that you would you would be here speaking. You would you would just allow any obstacles, anything that would that would hinder just just Lord um, bulldoze through that all speak to us today allow all of this to land well allow the the preparation and and um the 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 meat of the sermon god i just i just pray that we can marinate and digest it well today and we just ask that you would just bring your holy spirit to teach us what we need to hear today transform us today Move that needle in our heart, God, to be a little bit more like you today. Use this sermon. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So there was an expert of the law, a lawyer. Uh, the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, there, there was a Jewish lawyer. He, he knows the first five books of the Bible, inside and out. A Jewish law expert. And this, this law expert, most likely he was a Pharisee. Um, many, many law experts and, and scribes and stuff like that, they, they tended to be Pharisees as well. Pharisees are this sect in Judaism. They are the religious elite. And so this expert of the law comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. Okay, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? Many people today still ask this question. How do I get to heaven? What, what is good enough? How, how do we actually get there? Whatever construct people have in their minds about what heaven is, how do we get there? And so Jesus answers this, this lawyer with two questions. Well, what does the law say? What does the Torah say? Have you read it? Have you, have, you, have you read this? And it actually reminds me of one of my old geology professors in college. She was really tough. And if you had a question and you went to her office hours, she would often just kind of point you back to the textbook. Well, 
have you read chapter 13? Like, it, the, the answer is in the book, or, you know, what, you know, go back to the lab, try again, keep thinking about it. Like, like she did not give just straight-up answers. You have to go do the hard work. And for any educators out there, like, you you know, like, yeah, like, that's, that's good. Like, you, you want your kids, your students, to learn how to think, learn how to think through these problems, not just get the simple, straight answer. And so that's what Jesus reminds me of here. Um, he answers the question with two questions. Well, what does the Torah say? Have you read it? You know, um, and so the lawyer, he, he, he has read it. He knows it. And, and he answers with Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6. All right. And Jesus is like, yeah, you've, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That is an expression that means like the total person of who you are with everything you got. All of who you are, love God as best as you can and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. But then the, the lawyer, he... He wanted more. He, he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to be seen in the right light. And so he asked, okay, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And the answer to this question can build a variety of different realities. So maybe this lawyer, he, he lives in the good part of town, and he has really good neighbors, and he gets along with all of them. And perhaps, you know, they're, they're, they are so easy to love, so easy to get along with. And so perhaps he's trying to just set himself up. Like, look how well I love my neighbors. Jesus, tell me how good I, I am. Well, if we just consider our neighbors to be people that we get along with really, really well, loving our neighbors shouldn't be that hard. Now, Jesus, he doesn't ask more questions or, you know, give a lecture or anything like that. He gives a story. He gives a, a parable now. So the question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, okay, it's story time. Here's a parable. There once was a man, and it's implied that he's a Jewish man, and he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's about a 20-mile stretch through the overwhelmingly beige landscape of the Judean desert. Okay, about a 20-mile uh, stretch there between Jerusalem and, and Jericho. And we know nothing about this man. Okay, we, we absolutely know nothing about him. But along the way, bandits come, and they rob him, and they beat him, and it's violent, and they strip him naked, and, and they leave him half-dead. Now, I do just want to be sensitive to anyone who has experienced physical violence, abuse of any kind. You know, I, I did a, a Google News search, because sometimes you do that in sermon preparation. You just kind of have to see what's going on in the news with a topic. And I did a Google News search, and sadly, people are beaten to death, it seems like, all the time. It's, it's in the news. Uh, it's often due to... Um, a, a cranial, a cerebral trauma, a, a head injury. Like that's that's what is the injury that, that kills people when, when someone is beaten to death, left for dead. And 
this man just gets the beat down of his life half dead on the side of the road. And now there's a priest. Priest comes along down the road and 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 sees the man, decides to pass by on, on the other side. Now a priest is somebody who represents God to the people and also people to God. Now maybe this man just thought that man like this guy's already dead. This dude is dead. I'm not touching a dead body today. That's gonna make me unclean. I just I don't got time for this. So he passes by along the other side of the road. We don't know his reasons, we just know he's a priest. He's on the other side of the road. Next, a Levite comes. A Levite would imply somebody who works at the temple. Or perhaps this is like a servant or an assistant to the priest. And so a Levite comes by, and they do the same thing. They, they see the man, but they, they cross by on the other side of the road. All right? Maybe he's afraid of robbers. This could be a trap. Maybe the, 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 the bandits, the banditos are, are still around the, the, you know, the next boulder. Uh, again, maybe he just doesn't have the time. He has to get to Jericho, and he doesn't want to help this man. And then finally, in verse 33 of Luke chapter 10, we see a Samaritan comes down the pipe. And Samaritans are despised by the Jews. Why? Well, they're considered half-breeds. They're descendants of Jews who intermarried with outsiders, with Gentiles, a long time ago. And so the backstory, very briefly, is this. A long time ago, an Assyrian king, he wanted to resettle the, the northern kingdom of Israel, or it used to be the northern kingdom of Israel. He wanted to resettle that land and, and so he brought in these Gentiles, these, these foreigners, and some of the, the Israelites, some of the Jews that were still living there, they, they intermarried with the foreigners. And eventually they, they got the name, the, the Samaritans. Now they did worship God a little bit, but syncretism came into play. They, they accepted the first five books of the Bible, but everything else they threw away. So... Psalms and, and, and any other literature that was that was created, they, they didn't embrace it. Instead, they, they brought in other pagan uh, religions and, and mixed mixed it in. All right. So in short, Samaritans are impure in bloodline. They're also impure in their religion. They're kind of like a child of adultery. And, and Jews, they despised the Samaritans, just natural born enemies. Jews take their bloodline, their, their ancestry, their genealogies. It, like That is super important. Many of them take their religion. It, it, it's super important. And Samaritans are kind of this, this frame, like, like, like there's something wrong with you. Your bloodline is impure. Your worship is impure. Again, long story short, the Jews despised the Samaritans. Now, this Samaritan, he comes down the road, he comes near the man, he sees him, and he has compassion. He's, he's moved with, with pity. And he goes and he, 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 he's, he's there at the man, and, and maybe he has to tear his own clothes, but he, he makes bandages and he stops the bleeding. And then 
He has wine and oil involved here. Wine would act as a disinfectant, and oil would would, would soothe uh, his his body. And then he he picks up the man and, and he puts him on his animal. I imagine it's a it's a donkey, and he finds an inn to take this injured man to, and he personally takes care of him. The Samaritan personally takes care of this man. Now he can't stay there forever. He he pays the innkeeper two denarii. That's two days worth of, of wages. So you have to work Monday, you have to work Tuesday in order to, to kind of pay this off. But here's two days worth of wages he gives to the innkeeper. But he also says, you know what, I need to I need to keep going. I have an appointment to, to keep, but when I come back I will totally reimburse you. Like if there is extra, I will pay it. And so, you know, we don't know anything about this victim. We don't know if he's going to make it. But that's the end of the parable. And then we get to verse 36. Jesus gets back to the original question that launched this whole thing. Okay, who is my neighbor? Who proved to be the neighbor in this story? You have a priest, you have a Levite, you have a Samaritan. Who was the neighbor to the beaten man who was robbed, stripped naked, naked, and left half dead. And the scribe answers, or this this Jewish lawyer, the one who showed mercy. It was the Samaritan. It was the Samaritan Jesus, the, the one who showed compassion, mercy, kindness. And Jesus is like, yes, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, in Jesus' day, most people lived around the same people their entire lives. Neighbor meant proximity. And loving your neighbor as yourself probably meant for many people in that context that you're just loving the people in your hamlet, your, your small village. Okay, You're probably related to half of them. So loving your neighbor probably isn't that hard to do. But then Jesus gives us a new meaning to neighbor. Here in this parable, we have this first century parable that continues to stretch us as we think about who our neighbor is. And yes, sometimes we don't know what to do with our neighbors. And there's probably many reasons. One of them, perhaps, is we haven't developed the framework that Jesus is advising us to have. So we know the bullet points. Love God and love people. Okay, we, we know the bullet points, but sometimes we, we feel stuck. Our, hurts, our, our hearts yearn to neighbor well, but we just feel stuck. So how can we shepherd ourselves to neighbor well? Well, I'm usually not a cookbook style of a preacher. Like, I'm not just going to give you... Okay, here's the line items of all the things you need to do. It's typically not my style. Rather, I would like to give you a framework today. A framework that God willing will contribute to your spiritual formation. Um, a, a framework to marinate in, to, to think about, to, to reflect through. And so I have five points that I gleaned from the parable of the Good Samaritan that I want to share with you today. Five points that will hopefully lead us to mature reflections on neighboring well. And here are the five points. It's pathways and proximity, 
mission and movement, vision, compassion, and practice. And so first is proximity and and pathways, pathways and proximity. And what I mean by this is essentially be aware of your own journey. Take note of who is in your life and who is passing by. The first two points are actually just about awareness. It is awareness to your own path, awareness of who is in your life, proximity. And I want to draw your attention to the road that is in the parable. You probably don't hear sermons on the Good Samaritan and then the preacher just talks about the road. But that's what I'm doing here. One commentary says that many priestly divisions lived in Jericho. And so priests and Levites, they would be passing by on this road like all of the time. Like they know this road very well. And all of us here, we have common roads. We have common pathways and routes that we take in life. We have certain rhythms in our life. We go to work or the grocery store. We might even walk around the grocery store the same way every time we go. Anybody like that? You just, you have a pattern. You know, you go to the grocery store and you always go right or you always go left or like you know what to do. We have rhythms. We walk around the neighborhood. Sometimes we do that at the same time every day of the week. We go to restaurants. And so this first point in this in this framework here is to just have a an awareness of our own highways. Notice where you go. But also notice where you don't go. We are incredibly busy people. We got stuff to do. And sometimes the reason why we we don't engage or we don't see our neighbors that that much is because we're so locked in to our pathway. So really, this is about awareness. And the the second point is also about awareness, mission and, and movement. The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, they were all on the move. They came near. And guess what? As you move, as you move, God moves with you. God is around you. God is on the move in you as you move. We need to be aware of that. You know, there's passages in the Bible that show God's heart, like Psalm 22, for example. Uh, God wants all families of the nations to worship. God wants to come near God wants to dwell among all of the people. And so that's, that's the mission part of it. And, and we, could, we could camp on this for a long time. But just being aware of God is a God on mission. God wants to come near. And as you are on the move, be aware of the mission of God. That God wants to be known. God wants to know your neighbors. He wants to be known by your neighbors. He wants to be with People. And so there is an awareness of our pathways and our proximity, what's going on. But there's also a, a bigger awareness that God is on mission. What is God up to as we travel our roads, as we walk around our neighborhood? The third point that can help us lead to mature reflections on neighboring well is vision. This Samaritan, he came and he saw the man. The priests and Levites saw him as well, but Samaritan saw him with special eyes, special vision. He, he saw this human, this beaten human. 
He saw him. And our eyes, our eyes need to be open too. What opens our eyes? Well, sometimes big life events will smack us up and that will open up our, our eyes. But in the everyday, you know, mundane life, everyday normal life, what opens our eyes? I believe it starts with prayer and worship. The Great Commission is to love God with everything you've got and to love people. And and the simple teaching is this, you know, falling in love with God will naturally spill over into loving people. And so we can love and we can neighbor well in our own strength. And and we might be able to, to get along for a little while, but eventually we'll fall apart. This is where we truly need the empowerment of God. We need God's love in us, God's empowerment to love well, to neighbor well. And I would say it is God who allows us to notice things. Who do you see on your pathway? What opportunities are you noticing? The fourth point is compassion. After seeing this man, the Samaritan was moved with compassion. Compassion means to suffer with Another, um, we don't know anything about the Samaritan, his background. He's supposed to be a sworn enemy to the Jews, but he's moved with compassion. He shows mercy. He shows kindness. And he doesn't let any type of religio, social barrier, whatever, from preventing him and showing kindness. There, there's a history of hate that perhaps he directly or indirectly has experienced in his own life. He just throws that out. Here's a human being, half dead. I need to help. And as I thought about this parable, it seems the Samaritan doesn't ask, okay, what can I do to help this man? The Samaritan seems to ask, what will it take to bring this man back to total health? What will it take? And compassion, vision, compassion, it finally spills over into our fifth point, which is practice. The Samaritan is moved to act. He put compassion into practice. He became an emergency nurse and he took care of his injured neighbor. And he takes his, his, his neighbor to the, the inn takes care of him for a little while, puts a down payment on his care, and then promises to reimburse when he comes back. Anything extra, it's, it's on my tab. How far this Samaritan was willing to go to take care of his name. But for us, you know, we have to start somewhere. Putting compassion into practice, it begins with, with baby steps. And so, absolutely, you know, some people, they, they, like, they like to just jump right to action. And in certain contexts, there's nothing wrong with that. But this is where I want us to develop a framework. Because when we have awareness of where we are in life, when we have awareness of the roads that we travel, the, the rhythms in our life, the rhythms of our neighbors, when, when we have vision and we're actually able to see everything, when, when we see what's going on and we see opportunities and then we have compassion and that compassion boils up inside of us and then finally it's like we can't handle it anymore, that, com- that compassion needs to be turned into action and we finally do something. And I think that's that's sort of like everything, like just having good intentions isn't 
good enough. It, the the true the true I guess specialty here is knowing how to turn that compassion, that that yearning to help, to do something, to say hello, to smile, to turn that into action, practice. There's a gal named Twyla Franz, and she says it's okay to be imperfectly ready. Some of us, some of us, we don't know our neighbors well. We don't, we don't know our coworkers well, or whatever the case may be. We don't know our neighbors well, but we want to. And she says, give yourself permission to be imperfectly ready, and it's okay just to take baby steps. It's okay to be a beginner. But that's our our five points. Uh, for uh, helping us to reflect on neighboring well. We have pathways and proximity, where you go and who's in your life, mission and movement. As you move, God is on the move with you. God is before you. God is around you. God is, is already there before you even get where there is. Vision. We need God to open up our eyes, to see opportunities, compassion, having the right feelings, and action uh, excuse me, practice doing the right actions. And certainly there's a whole lot more we could talk about today. There are books, there are seminars that are spent on the art of neighboring. But for us, right now in this room, as we land this plane, some of you might not, you know, you, you don't feel like you're seen. Some of you are, are in pain. Some of you need healing. Maybe some of you are beat down by, by life and you just strongly desire, excuse me, a pick-me-up. The good news is this. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Jesus sees us. Jesus has compassion for us. Jesus heals us. Jesus lifts us up. Jesus carries us. Jesus comforts us. Jesus pays our debts, Jesus comes back for us. And we know it to be true that Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the one who takes care of us. And now, as his disciples, we get to go take care of others. We get to go and neighbor well. So who's in distress? What's going on around your block? Who's in distress and how can we love on them well? And so as we, as we reflect on this profound parable of the Good Samaritan, our traditions and religion may actually fail us, but powerfully, we want to follow the Jesus way. The Jesus way. Let your Christianity be the reason you neighbor well, not the reason why you cross on the other side of the road. And ultimately, behind all of this is to love God as best as we can, to love our neighbors as best as we can. Love God, love people, love God, love people. And as Christians, let us acknowledge together that we get to identify with the one who lived out the great commandments perfectly. When Jesus says, do this and live, well, Jesus did that, and he is living. And we are invited into this life of loving God and loving others.
loving God and loving others. Let's pray.